Uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to be up here, though. Um, something I really like that the church allows for Sunday school teachers is we don't teach off of a already prepared program. It gives the Sunday school teachers the ability to go through and decide what to do on your own. So as I'm doing normal reading, I'm always looking for either Sunday school topics or, like Mark said, have a sermon ready just in case. And uh, so I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. Um, And it also works for the object lessons on Wednesday night. Um, So far this year, we've had a couple of lessons on food, uh, which are really good. So um, that's a plug for both Sunday school and object lessons on Wednesday nights um, for all of you. Okay. We're going to turn, it's not really what I'm going to be speaking on today, but uh, in Revelation verse 22, or I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. Um, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Okay. Oh, my uh, technical gurus got got it already going up there. Um, Revelation 22, the way the Bible is written, of course, we know that it's not, in what is in our Bible, it's not chronologically in order. Okay, but we do know Revelation was the last book written. John wrote it in between 80 and 90 A.D., so it's the last book. This is the last chapter that God's given to man. And these are kind of like final instructions. Of anything God could have said in his final instructions in his word, the last instructions are, don't add to my word and don't take away from my word. Okay? So obviously, God really wants to make sure that his word is as it is. Um, Some of the, um, Matthew Henry, if you, if you want any, a good commentary that's not messed up, get an old Matthew Henry commentary, preferably one where they haven't changed his words into modern English, because um, Matthew Henry wrote his commentaries around the early 1700s, okay? And Matthew Henry says about these two verses, this sanction is like a flaming sword to guard the canon of Scripture from profane hands. Now, in today's modern language, maybe that might not mean a whole lot, but that was some very, very strong wording back in the 1700s, okay? And so Matthew Henry is agreeing that God wants to make sure his word is not messed with. Okay, so now... If I was teaching Sunday school, I would now ask the class, what do you think is the most important chapter of the Bible? Okay, hoping for some feedback. And with the um, teenage class, sometimes you have to actually reach out and try to draw something from them. 
uh, but I'm not going to ask everybody to go through and, and give what they think is the, the most important chapter of the book. Not to imply that every chapter is not important, because it is, otherwise it wouldn't be in there. But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 today. And let's see what a couple commentators have said about Genesis chapter 3. J. Vernon McGee, of course, one of my favorite people to study from, um, said it's probably the most important chapter of the Bible. Okay? Warren Wearsby says, quote, if Genesis 3 were not in the Bible, there would be no Bible as we know it. And that's kind of some interesting words when you look at everything else that is in the Bible. But why are they focusing on chapter 3 being so important? Well, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, everything is perfect. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They're communing with God. Tree huggers now could say they're communing with nature. Um, God talks to Adam directly. He's not even going through a written word. He talks to Adam, Adam directly. So, if you think about it, that's as perfect as the earth could be. But then if you go to chapter 4, one chapter over, everything has changed. We now have murder. Uh, Cain kills Abel. Okay? There's pride with murder. If you read the story of, uh, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Lamech, he brags about killing someone and how if, he, if Cain had a mark on to prevent people from hurting him, he will be more so. So Lamech is really having a lot of pride that he killed somebody. Boy, you know, I think that sounds really weird. Um, and then we have an entire line of people that descend from Cain where the Bible doesn't mention that they call upon the Lord. And how do we know that they don't call upon the word of the Lord? They don't call upon the Lord. Because in Genesis 4.26, the line of Seth becomes the first line to call on the name of the Lord. So an entire line of people are not calling upon the name of the Lord. What has happened in between 2 and 4? And that's what we're going to take a look at today. So where our main focus will be is on Genesis chapter 3. So you, go, you start at the end of the book with Revelation and then go back to the beginning of the book. And I'm going to read... Let's see if we're Oh, we're okay. Um, we're not going to focus on the whole book or the whole chapter three. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and read all of it just so we get all the context. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know if in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye will be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, 
and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Have you ever stopped to think about how that verse actually, what it's actually describing? The voice of God walking in the cool of the garden. Obviously, Adam could not see God because the Bible says no man has seen God. But how do you have a voice walking? So it, I, I, that's part of a verse that just makes me think back and goes, wow, I want to check out the video and see that when I'm up there someday to see what it's like. So walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out unto Adam and said, said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree wherein I commanded that thee that shall not eat? And the man said, Here's the blame. The woman that thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? So now the woman's going to shed some blame too. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shall bring forth children, and they shall desire to be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And then, I think I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Okay. So, of course, first of all, we obviously know this is the chapter where sin pops up. Um, Adam is commanded not to eat, and he does eat. So sin comes into the world. So obviously, that's something major that happens. The, most, the biggest thing in chapter 3, of course, is that sin comes into the world. But the other thing is, the early part of the chapter, we've, we can see Satan's plan for attacking God's word. Okay, And that's the other thing that is very important in chapter 3 is, Satan has a plan. He obviously wants to attack God's word. He knows he can't attack God himself, so he wants to attack God's word. Um, back in the other thing in verse um, 15, of course, that is the first reference to the coming Messiah who's going to have to come because of sin in the world now. So there's a whole lot in chapter 3 that we can look at but I'm going to focus on just Satan's plan for attacking God's word. Let me see if I know which button to move. Ah, there we go. Okay. So we went over the difference between Genesis 2 and Genesis 4 and Satan's plan. So now we're going to see what Satan's plan is. Satan's first step and step one is in Genesis 1. God said, and he said, Yea, hath God said. First of all, if you look back and you think about this, there was, we always see pictures of, of paintings of Eve in the garden, and you know, it's always an apple, which we don't know it's an apple, it's a fruit. 
But the serpent's always this hideous-looking creature in these paintings. But for some reason, when the serpent comes up and talks to Eve, Eve's not afraid. It, does she know that an, do animals speak before then? Don't know. Um, but obviously, it's probably not some hideous-looking snake with yellow eyes and horns and forked tongues and big teeth or whatever, or you think she would have ran away from it. But Eve is not afraid. And so Satan tells her, Yea, hath God said. Um, the other thing to remember is that Satan can masquerade as an angel of light, so maybe he just made the serpent look very nice. So Satan's first way of attacking God's word is to get people to question God's word. And that's what verse 1 is. Yea, hath God said, he's actually questioning Eve if that's what God really said. Um, you would think Eve should have said, absolutely, he said that, get away from me. But she doesn't. She lets him go on, and then I've got it marked as step 1A. Um, Eve then kind of helps Satan in his plan. If you read in chapter 3, she sa- or in verse 3, she says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it. If you go back into... Chapter 2, where God's commanding Adam about the tree, nowhere does God say anything about touching the tree. Okay, So Eve is kind of accepting Satan's questioning of God's word, and now she's adding to God's word. Okay, God never said it, but that's what humans do even today. Once they start questioning God's word, they start adding things to God's word. Um, is that happening today? Yes. If you look, and the pulpit committee's done a lot of this over the past year about looking at other churches and see what their websites say when we were looking and trying to find candidates. Um, there are a lot of them where on their doctrinal statements, they will say the Bible contains the Word of God. In and of itself, that sounds okay. Except if it contains the word of God, that also must mean it contains the words of somebody else. Okay? So, if you're ever, not that I want anybody to leave this church, but if you're ever looking for a new church and it says it contains the word of God, I think you should probably run away from that church. Because if you add stuff, then how do you know what they're preaching at is really God's word? And... Churches also do, they question God's word. Um, We all know, unfortunately, that the month of June is Pride Month in the United States. Um, I was driving by a church, it was in the month of June, and in front of the church's um, sign where they were talking about what they were going to be preaching on that week, they had several pride flags flying around. God's message that they were going to be preaching from. And I'm just looking at that and saying, 
How are you not preaching God's word if you're doing that? So, so Eve adds to God's word, not that Satan asked her to do that, but she did. She, you know, did she want to prove to the serpent that she knew more than the serpent did? Was she trying to, we don't know, but for whatever reason, she did add, don't, neither shall we touch it. Okay. And as we saw in Revelation uh, 22, 18, and 19, bad things can happen to people who add to God's word. So, the second step that we have, in 3, 4, um, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Okay? Well, the problem is, if you look at what God says, he says, thou shalt surely die. Satan added one tiny three-letter word and completely changed the entire meaning of that sentence. He said, thou shalt not surely die. So that goes beyond questioning God's word. That's denying God's word. God said, you shall surely die. And, of course, God was talking spiritually because when they ate the fruit, they they didn't die right away. But Satan is denying that God knew what he was talking about by saying, you're not going to die. Okay? Once you get someone to question God's word, it's a very short trip for them to start not believing God's word. And that's what's in Satan's plan. If you question God's word, and then you get them to deny God's word. Um, all you need to do on a Sunday morning is drive around on a nice Sunday morning, not a rainy Sunday morning. Um, you will see a lot of people cutting grass, jogging, walking their dogs, exercising. All good, well, except for exercising, all good things people should be doing. Um, Except they shouldn't be doing them on Sunday morning. Where should they be on Sunday morning? They should be hearing the word of God being preached. And I would hazard a guess that if you would go up and start talking to some of these people who are doing these things on a Sunday morning, A, they're probably all going to say they're Christian anyway. Uh, because that's what, you know, if you look at the surveys, people say 90% of Americans are Christians. Well, if that's the case, why don't we have 90% of America filling the pews? Um, But then if you would get them into some things, what about the verse about uh, fellowshipping together and being here when God's word's being, well, you know, that's not for me or stuff like that. So once people start questioning God's word, it's a lot easier for them to deny God's word. Think of it on anything else somebody has taught you. If you start questioning what they're saying, the next thing is you're thinking of is, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. So it's a very short road trip down that path. And oh my, this is going a lot quicker than I thought. Um, So the third way that Satan attacks God's word is in chapter 3, 5. He adds to God's word. 
For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he's substituting his words for God's words. At no point did God say that to Adam right away. Um, But Satan now wants to give Eve a reason. God's holding out on you. God's not telling you everything. God doesn't, God's being mean. Look at that tree. It looks good. It looks delicious. Personally, I'm thinking if, if I was in Eve's spot, it wouldn't have been an, a fruit. It would have been a nice, juicy steak, you know, hanging on a tree. Um, but obviously, Eve liked the looks of the tree and the look of the fruit. And so Satan hooks her, and then he puts his own words in by substituting out God's word and putting his owns. So that is, that's a reason why Eve shouldn't believe God's word. And when you think about it, Satan's also appealing to human pride. Okay? He tells Eve she will be as a god. And it is, it is small case, small lowercase god, it's not and knowing good and evil, okay? You look at today among society, and I don't want to say people want to be gods, but they want to put themselves high up. They want to show they're the best. Um, A famous basketball player from Ohio um, was anointed the chosen one by Sports Illustrated when he was a senior in high school, okay? So much so, he bought into the hype. He had Chosen One tattooed on his back, okay? There are a lot of religions that teach that man is a little god, okay? Directly buying into Satan's wording because it's grabbing a hold of man's pride. And that's probably, of all the sins there are, pride is probably the one that gets man in the most trouble uh, because man is a prideful creature. Um, It's just the way it is. Interesting thing, when you look about pride and, and wanting to be as gods, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15. And I should learn to make sure I mark my places to turn so I don't have to flip through pages. Okay, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, listen to how many times the words I will come up in the next couple verses. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Okay. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what 
Satan just told Eve. You'll be as gods. But that's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, was the sin of pride. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be a god. And that's what he's promising Eve, is you'll be like a god. Did Satan's words come true for when he promised this to? Oh, that's it. Did Satan's words come true? Well, when you read in Genesis 3, as soon as Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, are they made wise? Are they being like gods? And do they know good and evil? That's what Satan promised was going to happen. Well, God's word tells us what happened. Their eyes were opened. Does this mean they ran around with their eyes closed the whole time? No, it just means they saw things in a different way. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And furthermore... They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Can you ever really hide from God? No. You may think you can. But if you compare that back to 2.25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So, Satan promises Eve. He gets Eve to question God's word. He gets Eve to substitute God's word, add to God's word, and then he gets Eve to accept what Satan is saying about God's word. And we can see that clearly did not happen. Satan's promise was all the good things that were going to happen. Well, Satan knew that that wasn't going to happen because he knew why he got kicked out of heaven in the first place. But that's what he's promising Eve. And as we read, we see that is not what happened at all. And of course, as I said earlier, this is where the chapter where sin enters into the world. But we also see some other things about what happens with sin in the world. Um, It shows us, first of all, Adam and Eve, what do they do once their eyes were opened? They made themselves fig leaves, to cover themselves, to cover. And why is that? That was man's attempt at covering sin. Does man's attempt at covering sin ever work? No, it doesn't work. Because God, from beginning, had laid out a plan to cover sin or to pay for sin. So the chapter also shows, in addition to the fact that man's covering doesn't work, it shows that Blood must be shed for sin. Verse 21 in chapter 3. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. God didn't go down to Target and buy them a new set of clothes and say, here, wear these. He made them coats of skins. That implies that an animal needed to die in order to make the coats of skins. Okay, and if an animal dies, 
blood has to be shed. So, chapter 3, for why it is being, the, a lot of theologians consider it the most important chapter of the Bible. Um, and uh, Dr. McGee also numerous times have said, you know, people can disagree with him, but they also have to realize then that they're going to be wrong. Yeah. Which, is, which is kind of an odd statement to make, but, um, you know, there are a lot of important chapters, but as Wiersbe said, Without chapter 3, look at how the rest of our Bible, the entire rest of the Bible stems from preparing for Jesus to come, Jesus coming, and preparing for heaven. And if sin doesn't come into the world, that was not needed. Um, So it gives us the introduction of sin, and it shows man's depravity, okay? You always just think, why couldn't Eve have said no? Okay. Or even more important, why couldn't Adam say no? You know, Scripture's not clear on when God tells Adam. It's not real clear whether Eve is with him listening or maybe Adam told her. But Adam's the one that eventually it all falls on because the Bible says, through man, sin entered into the world. So it's because of Adam. Um, you know, a lot of men, when they're talking, well, if it wasn't for Eve, no, it's the man's fault. Eve, if the man would have said no, that would have been all there would have been needed. But, so we don't know what Adam told Eve. We don't know if Adam embellished and added some words. We don't know that. Scripture doesn't tell us because we don't need to. But what he does tell us in chapter 3 is it lays out the entire rest of the Bible. Sin, nothing man can do can cover sin. God has to cover sin. God has to pay for sin because, of course, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't cover our sin, he paid for our sin. And preparing for heaven. So there's an awful lot in one little chapter that, you know, I don't know how many times I've read chapter 3 that I've skipped over some of these important parts. It's like, yeah, okay, yep, yep, mm-hmm. But if you really go back in and dig into some of it and start looking to it, there's so much in one little chapter that plays out everything else throughout the entire Bible. Eh, not, too, not too bad on time. Okay, so with that, um, I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for showing me uh, through your word how Satan's plan is. This is is the the battle plan. This tells us what the enemy is doing. Uh, And with that, if we know what the enemy is doing, we should be prepared to be able to defeat the enemy. And not through our own strength, but relying on your word not questioning your word, not adding to your word, and not removing from your word. So, Lord, I do thank you for, like I said, once again, showing me this important thing that um, we need to know. We know we know the plan, and we need to make sure that we take this and that we are prepared. Uh, when, people, when we talk to people, if they mention some of these, we, we need to be prepared through your word, not through our own strength, but through your word on letting them know what is, what is happening, Lord. And we can see that all throughout 
history and it just seems to keep rolling and rolling faster downhill now. So Lord, we know that um, your time is coming closer, Lord. And uh, may it even come today, Lord, for we say, please come quickly. Once again, Lord, I do want to thank you for the privilege of being up here today. Um, it's not through my own strength or anything. It's through you uh, and the prayers of these people out here prepa- preparing me to be able to be up here today, Lord. For I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.